You were probably thinking, oh no, not the parable of the sower again. Is that what you were thinking? No, 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 I don't believe you. Well, actually, I was thinking that a little bit when I uh, had this uh, title, and I was sorely tempted when I was preparing this talk. You see, I spoke on this very same passage in the evening service at All Saints only six months ago. And so my temptation was, well, shall I just do that one again? (laughs) I don't suppose anybody who wasn't there will mind. And anybody who was there, well, they wouldn't have remembered it anyway. (laughs) From time to time, they might have a vague feeling of deja vu, um, but that's nothing much more. Oh, the temptations that beset a would-be preacher. But you will be relieved to know, or happily indifferent, uh, that I set my face against that course and prepared a whole brand new one. And the story that Jesus told is, of course, one of his most famous. Some people think it is the very first parable or extended story that he told. No, it doesn't sit first in there, but it might have been the first one. And, of course, it would be a very appropriate first story for Jesus to tell at the start of his ministry. It's also interesting that it is the only one of the parables that we have a written explanation from Jesus of what it meant. All the others we are supposed to work out ourselves. Uh, When Jesus told stories, he was much more sparing, or at least the written accounts are much more sparing with his words than the majority of preachers. So let that be a lesson to me this morning. But I have got on very early... So it is only ten past eleven, and you're not used to leaving before (laughs) twelve. Now, as you know, most of the story and uh, the explanation, and probably most sermons, are about the different kinds of ground that the seed fell on, and how those different types of ground represent... If I can get this one to work, Jeremy. Um, No doesn't matter. Um, I thought I'd put another one up there. How those different types of ground represent the different ways in which men and women respond to God. But that's not what I want to focus on this morning. I want us to turn our attention to the sower himself and the seed. So just before I do that, let me draw your attention to a phrase which I had not noticed before. It's there in verse 15. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. Isn't that a lovely phrase? A noble and good heart. It kind of merits a sermon all on its own. I hope there are many here today who have a noble and good heart. Well, I know there are. Now, although Jesus has nothing to say about the sower, he does, of course, make it clear that the seed is the, represents the word the word of God, or as Matthew says, the message of the kingdom of heaven. So it's not that difficult to conclude that if the seed is the word of God, then Christ himself is the supreme sower of the seed. But if that is the case, then all those followers of Jesus are also sowers like him. And that's where we're going this morning. Firstly, Every follower of Jesus is called to be a sower. Well, it is also true that everyone who has ever lived is a sower of some kind. Every human being 
leaves a trace, sows something. We all do and say things that have consequences further down the line. Consequences for ourselves, but not just ourselves, for others too, and sometimes even generations not born. Robert Louis Stevenson, he of Treasure Island, once said, or wrote, Sooner or later, everyone sits down to a banquet of consequences. Now, just as the first fishers, the first disciples were called to be fishers of men, so they and all disciples have been called to be sowers of the message of the kingdom or the word of God. When we signed up to enter the king's service, to become a follower of his, to become a disciple, there was no exclusion clause in our contract that said, if you do not wish to be a sower, tick this box and you will receive no further communications or exhortations to be a good sower. You know that the S in disciple stands for sowing or service. Oh, I know it's true that both Jesus and St. Paul quoted the saying that one sows and another reaps, and there is a sense in which that is true. But just for now, believe me, as we look at this parable, we are all meant to be sowers, sowers of the word, sowers of the kingdom of God. Every one of us is called to share the good news with others. So though every one of us is called to do that, in one sense we are all solitary sowers. I guess as Jesus was speaking to the people out there in the open air, perhaps he saw beyond the crowd, up on the hillside there, a solitary man walking up and down the strips of land, a bag thrown over his shoulder, with his hand reaching into it to throw seeds into the ground. There he is, all on his own, walking up and down those strips. It is true, I hope, that one of the great joys and privileges of the Christian life is for the most part being with other Christians. I know sometimes it can be a bit uh, vexatious, but mostly it is good to be with other Christians with whom we can laugh and cry, pray and work with, care for and be cared for by. And we are not meant to be solitary Christians or hermits. We need others and they need us. But... There is an obvious sense in which each one of us has to walk with God on our own and one day stand before him on our own. We cannot put someone else forward in our place or hide behind our partner. Some of you know this about me, that I once rolled up at Bristol Airport to go walking, or rather driving in the steps of St. Paul in Greece, along with Patrick Whitworth and Paul Bright and Michael Fowler. And we were all gaily chatting excitedly at the check-in desk, and I casually handed my passport to the man at the desk who looked at it, and then he came to me and asked me, what's this? Whose is this? And I looked at it again and realized that I'd handed over my wife's passport. (laughs) I'd taken the wrong one out of the important documents file in the drawer. And this was a boy's trip, 
so she wasn't with us. And what's more, she was working away, wasn't at home, and there was no one else at home who could dash out with the right passport. You won't be surprised to know that they wouldn't let me through on her passport. (laughs) I could not go disguised as my wife. I'm far too plain for that. But the result was, of course, that I missed the plane to Thessalonica. And they went on without me, leaving me behind to rue my carelessness. Uh, To find out what happened next, ask me afterwards. St. Paul says in Romans 14, each one of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. And that will include an account of how much sowing we have done and what kind of sowing we have done. You know that when you're a teacher or even a parent and you have to reprimand them, you frequently get the response, and sometimes adults do it as well, well, he started it, followed by a listing of what so-and-so has done wrong. And the teacher response is usually, I don't want to know what he or she did. We're talking about you and about what you did. So yes, we rejoice in the friendship and fellowship we have with other Christians. But one day, remember, it really will be all about you and about me. I've recently been stirred and challenged and made to think by reading an ancient account of the life of George Muller, the man who established an amazing set of buildings in Bristol for orphan children. At one time, the orphanages, the end of the 19th century, were caring for nearly 2,000 children. And he famously, as I expect most you mostly know, he famously refused throughout his life to ask for or make any appeal for his own salary or for the costs of running this huge enterprise. Instead, he relied solely on the power of prayer. And once he wrote this, the longer I live, the more I am enabled to realize that I have but one life to live on earth and that this one life is but a brief life for sowing. Thirdly, about this sower and sowing, sowing is an act of faith. It certainly was in George Muller's case. There goes the sower reaching into his bag for a handful of seemingly dried up small bits of material To all intents and purposes, there is no life in these things. If you didn't know better, you might think that scattering those seeds would have as much effect as scattering a handful of marbles or pea gravel. Just They would just lie there. For a few days, weeks, months and years, the marbles and the pea gravel would still be there unchanged. But when the sower scatters the seeds, he trusts that at least some of them are going to go into that ground and germinate. And then something is going to stick its head above the ground. And if the seed is wheat or maize or barley, it's going to grow several feet tall and have within it the stuff of bread. It is the miracle of growth. But throwing those seeds down is an act of faith. There is no instant result. It's not jack and the beanstalk. 
It's not absolutely certain that the miracle will take place. All sorts of things, droughts or floods, disease, birds of the air, insects could kill them off. But the sower knows he has to go on sowing. Although not every seed will grow into something good, one thing is for sure. If you sow absolutely nothing, you will get a zero harvest. Like the very next parable we have in the Luke chapter 8. If you have a lighted candle and put it under the bed, you can be very sure that no one will see the light. Not every word spoken by us, or prayer prayed, or action taken, will result in a rich harvest. But we can be sure that faithful sowing will result in some kind of harvest. Some of it seen, some of it not seen. Sometimes it may be a very long time before faithful, persevering prayer is answered. Or an initiative that you took, a seed that you sowed years ago, comes to fruition. Some do not even live on earth to see the fruits of their labors. But they sow on regardless. I like the saying, someone is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. All sowing is an act of faith. Sometimes we consciously have to step out in faith and do something when we don't know for sure what the result will be. It may be there will be no success, no harvesting, and that we'll just fall flat on our face. But we do so in faith. The so-called Oscar Romero prayer has these words, We plant seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We love lay foundations that will need further development. We can't do everything. We may not see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. Now, let's turn our attention to what that sower is carrying in his bag and what they mean for us. And I have very two very simple, very obvious thoughts. Keep doing the wrong one. Words. The words we speak are potential seeds. Paul tells the Colossians to make the most of every opportunity when you're with people. And he goes on to say, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. The word there for grace in the Greek is charis, or charis with an H in it, which has a multitude of meanings. It means grace, kindness, sweetness, a gift. That's where we get charismatics from. Our conversation should be a kind of gift to another person. Proverbs says... Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Words spoken, as we all know, cannot be withdrawn. That goes for kind words as well as harsh words. It's true for words of encouragement as well as discouragement. Words can build up or they can undermine people. 
I guess that most of us can probably think, without too much difficulty, of something someone said to us, maybe years ago, that hurt at the time, were unfair and still rankle. But I hope, too, that we can all think of times when someone has spoken to us in conversation or in a sermon and or written to us words which have done us good and maybe even changed our lives. There is one area of words where I think we all have a particular challenge. And that is speaking words to other people, our friends, our neighbours, our members of our family, explicitly about Jesus and our faith. This is something I think that all of us, or most of us, struggle with. And yet, unless we share those words, very few people are going to come to faith. We need to pray for ourselves and for one another the same prayer that Paul asked the Ephesians to pray for him. Pray for me, he says, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, if Paul had to get people to pray that, and he was no shrinking violet, was he? When it came to standing up and speaking out, but even he asked for that prayer, that he might be bold and have the right words to say. Maybe the prayer that we need to pray is, Lord, make me willing to be bold and courageous in speaking for you and about you to old friends and strangers alike and give me the right words when I do. So as we look forward to the week ahead and what words we might sow in this week, let me ask you these questions. Is there someone you need sorry it's a bit dim isn't it is there someone you need to apologize to or say well done to is there someone who would really appreciate a card from you is there someone you've been meaning to telephone or email for some time and you haven't done so is there an embassy that you need to write to on behalf of a prisoner of conscience especially a Christian prisoner of conscience. Is there someone you need to invite to the next Alpha course or offer a book to or start a conversation about deeper things rather than the weather and how are you and all that stuff? The second seeds are deeds, words and deeds, very obviously. I know some of you have allotments, Maybe you're going round there this afternoon. I'm no, I'm no gardener at all. I'm only a humbler, humbler picker-up of leaves and mower of lawns. But we all have a spiritual garden or allotment to cultivate. You might call it our character. Uh, here are some spiritual vegetables that could be planted in our character allotment. Here are three varieties of butternut squash that you might want to put in your spiritual garden. There is the well-known squash criticism. There is the well-known squash complacency and squash pride. And there's an abundance of lettuces to plant in your spiritual garden. 
There is the one from Galatians 6, line, 9. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Or Romans 14, 9. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to the building up of one another. If you don't like that one, try the Galatians 6.10 variety. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And Hebrews has one too. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, and also let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There are loads more lettuces in the Bible. You could do worse than look them up later today on BibleGateway.com. And uh, I'm not a fan of turnips, but here are four good turnips. Turn up to church. Well, you, you obviously met that one this morning. Turn up to your home group. Turn up with a smile. Turn up ready to serve. Now, we all know that if you want a crop of carrots, you must sow carrot seeds. If you want a crop of courgettes, don't sow onion seeds. If you want raspberries, plant a raspberry plant, not a cherry tree. And if we want to harvest the fruits of the Spirit in our lives and those around us, then those are the seeds we must sow. If you want to harvest kindness, plant kindness. If you want to reap faithfulness in others, sow some faithfulness yourself. If you want joy, plant joy. If you want peace, sow peace. And when we think of that list of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, we're probably thinking that these are the qualities we want to see in our lives, and if God is really at work, we'll have joy and peace and patience. But if we're consciously, by God's grace, endeavouring to sow these things, then not only do we reap the benefit of them, and get to enjoy the fruits, but so to do others. Those of you who have allotments, you probably find that what you harvest is more than you can consume, so you end up giving it away to friends. And if we are sowing the seeds of the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, then we can be sure that not only we will be the beneficiaries, but so will others around us. So, Some more questions as you look ahead this week. What deeds or actions might you sow and plant this week? Could you visit someone in his or her home or invite them to your home? Could you make something for someone? Could you set aside some time for someone? Could you take out your bank card or checkbook? and make a generous, even a sacrificial gift to someone or some cause that God has put on your heart? Could you offer your services to a Genesis project this week, or a church activity? Or is there an act of random kindness you might do for a complete stranger this week? I'm drawing to a close, and I want to end with one verse from Scripture that you may not know, because I don't think I really knew it until yesterday, as well as some of the others that I've quoted today. It comes from that challenging book and author, Hosea. Chapter 10, we find these words. Verse 1. 
Lovely words. They're on the back of the little seed packets you had when you came in. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. That's an extraordinary verse, isn't it? Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground. It's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. It's a great text to take forward. As I say, it's written on the little seed packet you were given as you came in. Maybe you could stick it into your Bible or your wallet or your handbag or on the fridge this week. But before you do that, I'm going to ask you to respond to being a sower this morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to get you all to come up the front or do anything edgy or dangerous. It's morning service, so we do things quietly and whatever. I'm just going to ask you, before we kind of get into the last hymn and the chat-chat-chat-chat afterwards, to think and pray for about three minutes with this piece of paper and ask the Lord to put something into your mind, on your heart, that could be a seed or seeds that you could sow this week. Someone to speak to, someone to do something for. If nothing comes, well... Try to be open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. 